Good morning, my name is Kristen Paleo. I'll be reading the scripture this morning for you. It's found in Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 to 23. Please follow along either on the screen or in the Pew Bible, page 56. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easy for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. This is the word of the Lord. As we turn our attention towards God's word, uh, the sermon is shorter, but we're going to start with one more little diversion that I hope actually is not a diversion, but will prove very helpful. I want you to pause where you're at, whether a phone on a scrap piece of paper, the bulletin even, whatever you want to write or take a note on. I'm going to pause for about a minute, maybe a minute and a half, and I want you to list responsibilities that you feel pressing in, on, and around you. Specific work responsibilities, family responsibilities, health responsibilities, extracurricular responsibilities, side hustle responsibilities, church responsibilities, school responsibilities, and so on and so forth. Just take a minute, list all those prayerfully. There's no music, no nothing. We're just going to sit here in silence, but just type them with your thumbs or scratch them on a piece of paper, some bullet points, because I think that's going to help set us up to hear this word of text preached So I'll pause and I'll come back up in a minute. That may not have been long enough for some of you, but we'll begin anyway. So if you feel overwhelmed or you know someone who is, I think God has something for us in his word this morning. Would you join me in prayer one more time? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the special ways that in the church, in the community of faith, in what the scriptures call the household of God, many hands do make light work. Lord, I pray as we look at this passage that we would see not only what we are to do, but what you have done, are doing, and will do for your people. 
We pray this in Christ's name, amen. My first pastorate was in Tucson, Arizona, and it would be overstating it to say that everybody in Tucson has a pool in their backyard, right? Everybody in Tucson does not have a pool in their backyard. It feels like it, though. Um, and, and there were so many people that had pools in their backyard, swimming pools, um, that there would be this, as you drive around town, you listen to the radio, there would be this commercial that would play often. And it, almost, it would catch you off guard because it was, almost felt like dead air. It was this almost silence but faint splashing sound. And then after a, a few moments of that, the narrator would come on and say, that's what drowning sounds like. I will never forget those sober ads. The, the point was that the person who's drowning is so consumed with gasping for air that they can't yell for help or wave their arms. People have to see and they have to jump in. Without the intervention of God, we, at least most of us, would take more upon ourselves than we could bear. Get into situations above our head. In our passage this morning, Moses needs God to send people to jump in. Some of you this morning need someone to jump in. And, and there are others. And maybe in the same person, but in a different scenario, you need to be the one to jump in. This morning, with all that's going on, sermon is super simple. The story, the interpretation, and the application. That's all we're doing. What's the story, or really stories, we're going to see? What's the interpretation? What does it mean for us? And what's the application? So let's just jump in. We've been preaching through the book of Exodus for the last couple months, which is a story of freedom from slavery. And thus far, God has freed his people from the hands of Pharaoh, and they're moving towards slavery, or we might say just worship and serving of God. So we're in a transition passage, which is really one story that are three stories. And so let's look at how it begins this is from chapter 17, so if you have a Bible, just, just leave it open, I'm going to be referring to it often. This is after last week's water passage, manna passage, water passage, now we go to chapter 17, verse 8, uh, which is a bigger passage than was just read, but 17, 8 begins this way, then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men to go out and fight with Amalek. They didn't have a standing army. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. few things. Amalek is a descendant of Esau. So there's two brothers, Jacob and Esau. They're significant in the book of Genesis. And begin, there begin two different family trees. And the family tree of Esau is often at war with the family tree of Jacob, which becomes Israel. And the Amalekites are there in this land and they see a chance to pick on the weak and wounded Israelites as they limp out of, with their heads held high, but as they limp out of Egypt. 
And they swoop in like bandits and they're going to pick off the people at the end, the, the stragglers, the, the women, the children, the elderly, see what they could steal, see what they could do. They're stronger. They're established. They're bullies. When Moses, in, in, at the very end of his life, the book of Deuteronomy, he reflects back on this moment. That is exactly how he describes it. It left a scar in him because of the way they were treated and the way they were wounded and attacked. And so this is Israel's first battle. In fact, as they leave Egypt, they, they actually go a different direction to avoid people so that God doesn't put them in a battle scenario. So this is their first battle. The Battle of the Red Sea, we read that God says, I will fight for you. Here, God's going to fight through them. It's different and hard and new. In the passage, as I continue to read here in just a moment, we're going to see a detail that's odd to us. Moses is going to hold up his staff, and as he's holding it up, they seem to win the battle, and as he lowers his hand, they seem to lose. And I, lots of things to say about that, but I'll just say this, the staff was not just a staff. This was the staff that struck the Nile and ushered in the plagues and parted the Red Seas. This staff represents the judgment of God leveled against those who would make war, not against God's people only, but against God. And so... Let's read verses 11 through 15. Whenever Moses held up his hand, notice singular, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. And the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. There's this workout I do with some guys on Saturday morning. A couple of them come to church. A handful of them just attend other places. But we meet Rain or Shine, and there's this one guy, we rotate who leads, and there's one guy who every time he leads, he does this exercise called the bat wing. And we all hate the bat wing. <laughs> uh, and he knows that, and that's why he always picks it. And it involves this multi-minute exercise of just holding your arms out um, and rotating them forwards, rotating them backwards, eventually clapping and doing other things for a long time. <laughs> and we hate it. And, and, and we hate it because it doesn't matter how long or how strong you are, at some point, you reach the point of pain. Because there's a, a limit to, no matter how strong you are, you can only hold your arms for so long. And Moses is in the point of pain. You'll notice in the text, verse 9, verse 11, it says hand. And then it says hands, <laughs> verse 12. He can't even hold the staff with two hands. He's drowning and he needs people to jump in. He doesn't say he asks for help. doesn't say, come help me. He says, they, two guys just jump in. They give him a seat. They give him arms, something to hold up. And not only that, I want to highlight the fact that they wrote this in a book. All right? God says, write this down. Indeed, they did because, because we have it, that book, or at least the book that then became this book that we have. Think about that for a moment from Moses' perspective. What kind of leader is he becoming that they can not only write the story of God's victory, but of Moses' need? 
Something's changing in Moses. It's a good thing. In the next story, we meet Moses' family, I'll say, again. We met them in our telling of the story a couple months ago, but as Moses left Egypt at chapter two, he goes and starts a family in the wilderness, and then God sends him back to Egypt. And he begins his family, and his father-in-law is this man named Jethro. And uh, when Moses meets Jethro again, after all that God has done, he's evangelizing Jethro, telling him about the wonderful work of God. Chapter 18 begins with Jethro titled, as he is in other places, the priest of Midian. So that's the area. But essentially, it's flagging. This is a pagan priest. And in just a few verses time, Jethro praises Yahweh as, quote, greater than all the gods. And he makes sacrifices to the Lord and eats a meal in God's presence. Look at with me at verses 5 through eight, uh, 12 of chapter 18. This is what was just before what Kristen Paleo read. Chapter 18, verse 5, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. This is where Moses was encamped at the mountain of God. So he's coming out. And when Moses sent word, or excuse me, when he, the father-in-law, sends word to Moses, hey, I'm coming. So there's like scouts that go up ahead. I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you and your wife and your two sons with her. Verse 7, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. That was their way of greeting. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods because in this affair they have dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. That means he he spent money on God's behalf and, and gave it to the Lord. He sacrificed And Aaron came, that's Moses' brother, with all the elders of Israel, so the the leaders, to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. They hold a worship service that includes feasting together in God's presence. What a story. (laughs) Throughout the book of Exodus, there's a phrase, and I've mentioned this a time or two, that is used so often that theologians have given the phrase a name. They call it the recognition formula. It goes like this, then you will know Then you will know, the phrase goes over and over again. God says, I will do this and I will do that. Then you will know that I am the Lord and there is no other. That's the recognition formula said over and over throughout Exodus. And if you look at verse 11 carefully, it says that Jethro comes to know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. And although in our terminology, we might call Jethro a new Christian, God is going to use him now to instruct Moses about something that Moses needs to hear. That sounds fun, doesn't it? (laughs) For Moses? Father-in-law? New Christian? Going to tell me how to do things? (laughs) All right. But Moses spends a day, or Jethro spends a day with Moses at work, and what he sees is this. It's like Home Depot, the customer service line, 
and it, and it goes around the store, the line, and then it goes out the front door and around Home Depot and there's one guy at the counter and it's Moses. And look what Jethro says, verses 17 through 24. Moses' father-in-law said to him, it's a gift of encouragement here, what you are doing is not good. (laughs) It's true though. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God will be with you. You shall represent, you shall do this. Like it's gonna happen, but you gotta do it differently. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God and are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties and of Tens, we would say just delegate in a kind of system of differing leadership amounts. And let, the ju- and, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you and you will be able to endure and all this people will go to their place in peace. Then verse 24. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. So back in chapter 17, the problem, as one pastor put it, is that there's a work that only Moses can do and he needs help to do it. When we come to chapter 18, there's a work that Moses is doing and lots of people can help him do it if he'll let them. Moses loves these people but he needs to learn that God loves them more. There's probably some of you who need to hear that you're caring for someone, pouring yourself out in whatever situation that is, and you're like, if, if, if I stop, I don't know what's gonna happen. It, it's just gonna implode. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe you need to be reminded that God loves them more than you do. And if you back off, God will figure it out. So those are the stories. The stories, now the interpretation, and we'll talk about the application. Briefly, what's the interpretation? What does this mean? Like, what does it mean? So many things I want to say, but I want to just say one thing several different ways. God really loves Moses and his people. And God is committed to their well-being. Say it again differently. God really loves you. And he's committed to your well-being. And I I especially see this as I consider the arc of Moses' life. And and not even just talking about the first 80 years, but just these next years, this this ministry of leadership that God has given him. Back in chapters 3 and 4, it's been a while since we were there, but Moses struggled with pride. God came to him over and over again across chapters 3 and 4 and says, I'm going to help you to lead God's people out. And 
over and over again, Moses says, but I can't do it, but I can't do it, but I can't do it. Five times, actually, they go back and forth. And God says, I'm going to help you. And Moses says, I can't do it. I'm going to help you. I can't do it, right? Back and forth. And I called that, if you were there at that sermon, a kind of false humility, which is really a pride. It's a, it's a continually looking back on ourselves. And Moses struggled with that. And God's got to bring him through that. As I preached that sermon, a number of you pointed out to me after the service just other passages that are fun to think about. So that's in chapters 3 or 4 of Exodus. In Numbers chapter 12 later, Moses is called, and I don't think he wrote this himself. I think there were, as, after he died, as they're looking at the story of Moses, he calls Moses the most humble man in the face of the earth. Like, how do you get from here? It's all about me. I'm looking at me, this hangs on me, I'm a big deal, if I can't do it, it's going to fall apart. How do you get from there to here? God. Moses loves his people and he tries to serve them to the point of exhaustion, so he's drowning with responsibility. I mean, he can't even yell for help. He needs to sit on a rock and have someone hold his hands. How humiliating. And then he gets told off by his father-in-law who's been a Christian for like a literal 24 hours. How humiliating. Why not just throw the staff down and yell, well, if I, if I don't get to hold the staff by myself, no one gets to. Why not just, if I don't get to judge the people by myself, no one does. He didn't do that. You see, not only is this a transition passage, for the people geographically from Egypt to Sinai, from the law of Pharaoh to the law of God, but it's a transition passage for Moses. Moses is becoming the kind of leader who not only knows he needs help and is willing to receive it, but he's willing to write it down in a book for everyone to see. This is one of the reasons I believe the Bible is God's word to us. It's not the only reason, but it's one of them. I, I, I just, I think of, you know, I was talking about this with, after the service with, with, with someone just the other week, and we were talking about, you know, is there a written record of the plagues in the annals of Egyptian history? And historians haven't found that necessarily. And you wonder why, except, just think of the parallel of Germany in 1930s and the propaganda machine. Is Egypt going to write about this? No. The Bible writes true stories that have one hero, and it's not Moses. Moses is becoming the kind of leader who loves that. He's not going to put on his Instagram filter. He knows he's drowning, and God sends other people in to save him. God gets the glory, Moses gets the help, and his people are blessed. What's the application? Story, interpretation, application. There's a book I love called The Art of Rest. Um, read it several times. And, and the author is a, is a pastor from inner city Boston. And so he's this, uh, you know, in a hub of frenetic activity. And he's, he writes as this, I guess I would call him a, a pilgrim, a fellow pilgrim journeying towards rest in a culture that has created an idol out of busyness. In the West, the author writes, quote, we've managed to take something that is busyness that 
has in every culture until recently been a vice and through the magic of repeating a bad idea long enough have turned it into a virtue. Throughout the book, the author tells readers that he aims to, quote, sell Sabbath rest. He wants readers to know the how of Sabbath, the why of Sabbath, and the look how wonderful it is of Sabbath. In other words, he's trying to sell people on how good it is to be a slave of God and not a slave of Pharaoh. Remember how we started the sermon? It was making that list. Whether it was just up here in your head or it's on a piece of paper or it's on a phone. Your list of responsibilities is not the same as Moses's. I know that. It's not the same list of responsibilities I would make, at least exactly. But it is a list and the responsibilities are real. And like for Moses, there are some things on your list that only you can do. And you might need help to do them. There are other things on there that list that they're good and they need to be done, but you might not be the one to do them. And then there are other people, perhaps those sitting around you, who you need to go help them do what's on their list. You need to jump in. You need to ask, how can I help? They may be too busy to even ask for it. You might have to tell some people, what you're doing, and I love you, (laughs) is not good. If you're a Christian, you believe a whole bunch of things, but at least these two. That you are not God, and the God who is God loves you because of what Jesus has done for you. Which means it's not going to make it super easy to ask for help, but it's going to make it a lot easier if you really believe those two things. And if we really believe those two things. If we had more time, I'd go to the many passages in the New Testament that highlight the wisdom of God in creating a church. It's full of different people, full of different kinds of giftings. To some people, God has given the gifts of pastoring, which is why Tony was standing up here with me. Like, it's not just, there's not just the guy. Everywhere in the New Testament, there's a plurality of leaders the Bible speaks of as pastor elders. It's how we lead in that church, our church. Then there's the gift of service. They help those inside the church and outside and so many other things we could say. Look how verse 23 reads. If you do this, God will direct you. Just that pairing there of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. If you do this, God will direct you. You do this, God will direct you. It's both. And you will be able to endure and all the people will go to their place in peace. God will get the glory, the leaders get the endurance, and the people get peace. What a story. We can have this same story. Just over 10 years ago, I had my last Sunday at Salem Evangelical Free Church in St. Louis, Missouri. My youngest son is named Salem in honor of this church. I was a volunteer pastor. I was going through seminary. Um, The date was May 22nd, 2011. And that Sunday, I was only a newly graduated seminary student, former pastor, or former engineer, just volunteer pastor, And the next Sunday, I was full-time staff pastor in a local church, and I've been one ever since. First there in Tucson, and now here for seven years. 
And on that Sunday, May 22nd, 2011, my friend and just a volunteer pastor, Tom Reedy, read Exodus 17. And he prayed for me. People would come along and hold my arms when I got tired. And they have. And I don't know if he also prayed for me to have the humility to receive that. (laughs) At times, I've had it. At other times, I've had less of it. But this is my story. This is my song. God is good. Tom, he still listens. He's retired now, but he still listens to sermons and prays for me. Almost every Sunday, I get a text message at 6.30. (laughs) Praying for you. At a recent small group leader training, Pastor David, he was, he was in the first service sitting there, um, led us through this list of responsibilities. That's where I got the idea. And then he taught through Matthew 11 and these precious words from Jesus. I'm not gonna teach through this. I'm just gonna read them and then we'll pray and invite the worship team back up. But this is what Jesus says to people who are weak, wounded, and wayward. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Stronger than Pharaoh, gentler than Pharaoh. That's Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that though the seasons change, Your faithfulness does not. Your mercies are new every morning. Lord, I pray that as a church, this story would be our story. A story where you get the glory, the leaders get endurance, and the people get peace. Would you bring that about? We pray in Christ's name.